the lie that poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah and i'm an india and we are your theory doctors Hello. Hi there. Hope you're all well. Nice to see you again. Um, what are we talking about this week? Today we're talking about universities. Yes. Uh, the institutions that allow us to pay our bills. Yep. We are both, you know, we, we, we are both within the system that we are talking about. Talking about. It's a really interesting, and, and of course the... This is quite a specific British context here today yes. um, because the, we've talked before about the difference, some of the differences between Indian universities, American universities, um, British universities. And I've noticed in the last probably year or so, I mean, it's nothing new, but mm. I've really noticed how much it's bothering me. Mm. Um, a particular slant on mainstream reporting on universities so basically mm. universities in the news mm. is what we're talking about yeah. i mean there, there is a particularly british context and we'll talk more but but there are parallels across so uh there are sort of bad news stories about universities in india mm-hmm. universities being described as anti-national because they are spaces where you can make uh, statements that are critical about the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, universities in America are corrupt because you can pay your way into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been that's been a big thing in the news. But we are focusing today particularly on a number of stories that have appeared in the British media over the last month or so. Yeah, yeah. they're they're quite they're small stories, like yeah. compared to you know the the admission scandal in the yes. United States, which yeah. is. Um, on many levels, out, outrageous yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. Um, but there's a. I think what's interesting about the, these kind of littler stories mm. is the way that they very slowly but mm. effectively work to erode public confidence and also to undermine a sort of. Um, accurate narrative of what universities do, how they work, mm. uh, who are members of them, what what they are historically, how they function, and their yeah. relationship to yeah. the kind of the wider, mm. I guess, I mean, wider social context, wider mm. political context, whatever. Mm. Do you want to give an example of some of the stories we're talking about? Yeah, so, um, well, we're, we're thinking in terms of two, there's sort of two sets of stories. Mm. And last year we did... Uh, we did episodes on on the strike, um, which was I think quite interesting for us mm. to talk about. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of news reporting on the strikes last year. And whenever university staff go on strike, mm. there's news reporting about it. Um, to in that follow different kind mm. of political lines, mm. but at the moment there's some interesting reporting happening about uh, students and about universities and their relationship to students. Mm-hmm. And there's one that made the news this week about 
the number of students earning first class degrees, that's jargon for mm. top level of degrees, mm. um, A's if you will, Latin honors in the US, that sort of thing, um, who didn't do very well mm. in their qualifications to get to university. Mm. Um, there's a lot of jargon there, A levels and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, and the 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 imp- implication is that universities are making it easier to graduate. Yeah, it's it's a great inflation story. It's a right? great inflation yes. story. Yeah, uh, it's not a look how good universities are doing because they're taking students who are underperforming and bringing out their potential. Yeah, it's not that story. It's not that story. No, there's another set of stories. Yeah that are not focused on students, but that are focused on universities as uh, corrupt or untrustworthy institutions Mm. that um, spend all their money on capital Mm. investment projects and not on students, or that, um, what else do universities the, do? The, there's a story uh, which is in today's news as we are, as we are recording this. Uh, we are recording this on the 17th of April. Uh, and there's a news uh, today about un- universities facing criticism for instituting gagging orders. Uh, the, the, the point of the story is that staff members who have been... Uh, uh, bullied or harassed by university management who have reached a settlement uh, with the university in terms of unfair dismissal, uh, for example, are uh, are subject to an NDA, so non-disclosure agreement, which, uh, which prevents them from criticizing the university or prevents them from uh, uh, publicly stating, stating the terms of their, their uh, settlement. So that's one one type of story. There's a whole other type of uh, story which uh, which works in, in opposite directions, which is uh, about the extent to which campuses are spaces of free speech or not. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you have uh, universities ac- being accused of clamping down on free speech and not allowing particularly controversial, usually controversial right-wing figures. I'm thinking of, uh, there's a recent story where uh, Jordan Peterson uh, was apparently offered a, a position at Cambridge, a visiting position at Cambridge, which was then withdrawn. And this this led to lots of uh, uh, activity on, on, on social media, apart from everything else, which targeted particular, particular specific named academics at Cambridge. Uh, very visible academics of colour. I'm thinking, uh, thinking of uh, Dr. Priyam Vadagopal at Cambridge, mm-hmm. who is very active on social media, who it was claimed completely un- inaccurately, it was claimed had something to do with the fact that that this invitation was, was withdrawn. Uh, but also there is another, another, another part, uh, form that this story takes, which is universities being too lenient about free speech. So you have have the government's prevent strategy, which is about uh, combating terrorism, which uh, mandates university staff th- to report students who are seen to be at risk of radicalization, which and risks of radicalization could be students who question British values, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, so this. Whichever story you you pick up, 
there is a kind of no-win situation for the universities, yes. right? They're either uh, full of, they're either oppressing their staff or they're paying their staff far too much and, and, and staff are unreasonably going on strike. Either they are making it too hard for students of particular communities to enter and flourish or they're making it too easy through grade inflation. Either they are bastions of free speech where uh, unacceptable, uh, unhelpful, radical things are being said, or they're cutting down on free speech and sort of acting as thought police. And in all of these situations, it is the universities are always on the wrong side of the story. Yeah. 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 Which I find it really interesting. Okay. I also find it really irritating because... There's a lack of, because to me, the terms of the criticism and the terms of the issue, the way the issue is framed, isn't accurate. Mm. That if if the framing of, of the issue mm. were to be adjusted, mm. just reorienting the focus or reproblematizing the issue mm. or using different language, however you want to kind of mess with it. Yeah would be a more accurate depiction yeah. of what's going on. So with debates about grade inflation, for example, none of the these news stories are reporting on the TEF, which is the Teaching Excellence Framework. One of the criteria for the Teaching Excellence Framework, which is a government auditing exercise, it's, it's been introduced very recently in the UK, specifically in England and Wales, um, St. Andrews also has taken part willingly in this exercise. And there's a series of criteria that are kind of externally assessed. And according to the, the kind of outcome, the score that you get, you're ranked and your university gets certain privileges and perks. You can charge more for certain degree programs, whatever, whatever. Part of, part of that metric is... How many good grades do your students get? Because one of the only ways that the government and indeed anyone has of assessing the quality of teaching is how good the students' grades are, how well they do in a course. Obviously, it makes no sense. It's a really strange, irrational tautology that goes on here. Yeah. How well a student does in a course is ultimately, you know, yeah. up to you know, whether a person decides to give them good grades or not. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the, it makes really no sense. Yeah. The, the goalposts are nowhere to be found. Yeah. There's no benchmark, you yeah. know. And, but that is one of the only ways that we have of measuring what's called teaching quality. Yeah. Is did the students understand enough content yeah. in your course? Yeah. Did they learn the skills required in order to perform well? Yeah. So, you really should have a certain number of students who mm. achieve firsts because that is a marker of successful teaching. If you want to do well in the TEF, you need to bump up the number of firsts you get. Yes. How do you do that? Well, because grading isn't an objective measure of quality, it is a spectrum in which students are compared to one another, you just change the standards because mm. That's all marking is. Grading is purely relational. Mm. Yeah. There is no, there's no objective yeah. kind of benchmark on which to judge this. It, 
like statistically speaking, it's not how math works. It's it, socially speaking, it's yeah. not how assessment works. Like it just it makes no sense. Yeah. So all you do is give more firsts. You lower the standards to give more firsts, and then your more of your students get firsts. Like that's fundamentally how it works. Yeah. And it's not. And to me, I'm quite a nihilist about it. Yeah. You know, what's it for? What are the first four yeah. to get students into jobs? Another criteria of the REF? How many yes. students end yes. up in employment six months after yes. graduation? Yeah. The more students who graduate with firsts, the more likely into ones, the more likely they and, are and to the, get jobs. And what, what pay level have, uh, exactly. are they, have they got in their, jo- in their jobs? Exactly. So if the government is auditing based on these criteria, yeah. is the university doing something wrong? Yeah. So in other words, I guess part of our problem, which, you know, won't won't I guess this won't won't come as a surprise to our listeners is is I think what we are critiquing is a complete lack of analysis of power in terms of how what a university is and what the relationship between government university and society is yeah so part of part of the problem with the way these stories are reported is they're presented they present universities as monolith monolithic organizations as opposed to particular power relations between senior management, mid-level management, academic staff, students, uh, funders, uh, both government funders and commercial corporate yeah. funders. As employers of people who don't do academic work, exactly. but who do work that's instrumental for the university. Exactly. And universities as bureaucratic corporate organizations, many of whom have particularly long and ignoble histories of you know collusion with empire collusion with slavery uh, particular hierarchies to do with class where universities were not meant for working class kids universities were not meant for women and in it there is no recognition that universities are coming out of a society which is based on conflicts and hierarchies and it is externally demanded that universities are complicit with forces that are designed to reinforce and preserve these hierarchies. Yeah. Yeah. Our students are supposed to earn big salaries. Yeah. Our students are supposed to represent the intellectual elite of society. Um, our academics are supposed to provide uh, useful evidence that can be used by the government to put forward certain agendas. We're supposed to provide uh, technology and innovation that makes money for industry. Yeah. You know, and when a university is situated in those terms, mm. of course, the same power relations hold. Yeah. But then, at the same time, universities are also expected to be above, better, better. more pure. Yeah. Separate from. All of those power relations. In a, and that, that expectation seems certainly going by my social media world and my offline network world. That expectation seems to be, seems to affect people within universities just as much. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, there was uh, another unfavorable news story a few weeks ago about uh, a particular funding bid which was then I believe withdrawn from uh, 
a humanities research centre based in Cambridge, uh, which was applying for funding to work on weapons research. Mm-hmm. Um, and this led to a really interesting, but to my mind, deeply problematic discussion that centred around the humanities sciences divide, mm-hmm. where humanities academics, many of whom I'm, I know very well, many of whose work I respect a lot, were saying things like, you know, one can expect this of science and engineering, mm-hmm. but one shouldn't expect this of humanities. As if it's not just universities that are, that are expected to be better than the rest of the world. It's humanities specifically should be better than those uncritical sciences. Mm-hmm. And there was a really interesting discussion which resulted in a conclusion which, speaking personally, it, it had never occurred to me before, that at no point in my academic career, in, in training specifically, have I ever been asked to think in my education about research ethics. Mm-hmm. And I don't, the only time I've had to think about research ethics has been to when my research has involved other people mm-hmm. as participants. So if you're a humanities, and typically in, in, in straight-up humanities, you don't work with other people as yeah. responsible. and in, in most straight-up sciences as well, yeah. a lot of people who do hardcore science yeah. also don't have to think about ethics in exactly yes. the same way. A lot of yeah. geologists, for yeah. example. And, research, and, you know, we are, we are not structurally, institutionally encouraged ever to think about the ethics of our research above and beyond how we use participants. Mm-hmm. You know, the research that you are proposing to do, the archive you're looking at, the way you are reading, is there an ethics of reading, for example? There clearly is. But that is not a question that any of us ever asks. Because I think there is a general assumption that if you are doing humanities research, you, you are going it. to be ethical. Yeah, you share You share a that humanities ethos. ethos. But in what, unless it's institutionalized or spoken about in a kind of public formal way, yeah. actually, yeah. that is just an assumption. Yes. So we have a, a really, a sort of an even more problematic no-win situation because you have a constant barrage of negative press about universities that are challenging essentially challenging the university's right to exist as spaces of higher education. But none of it is actually getting to any of the systemic problems that exist yeah. within universities. Yeah, or the heart of of an actual debate. Yeah. So the, the story about uh, oppressive management, for example, it, it's talking about universities as spaces that may or may not follow particular employment laws. But it's not talking about casualization of the workforce. Mm-mm. It's not talking about the neoliberalization of universities that encourages, demands academics to go on further and further fractional contracts or fixed-term contracts that demands a kind of mobility that destroys any kind of stable family life, for example. None of these things are on the table. What is on the table is the specific non-disclosure agreement as a tool of oppression. And it is a tool of oppression. We're not questioning that at all. 
but it is not question it is not challenging any of the root causes that are systemic issues within the university sector and from from my position i think the reason why it's not challenging that is if it did it would have to challenge the systemic causes that are the root causes of oppression everywhere yeah right so and it's it's sort of the you are you are ending up in a situation where the university system the university world if you like becomes an easy target in order to undermine the last vestiges of critical research that is happening mm-hmm. and the spaces where alternative forms of society can be theorized yeah and conceptualized that it, you you are going to challenge that but you're not going to challenge the creeping neoliberalization oh, it's not even creeping anymore the galloping yeah. neoliberalization of universities you're not going to challenge the the uh, precarious employment that universities are working on you're not going to challenge the the ways in which uh, uh, increase in tuition fees means working class kids are actively actively discouraged from joining joining universities yeah none of that is is going to be an issue yeah there's some interesting reporting as well on um, issues that I think you and I are you know and have been deeply concerned about in this yeah. conversations that we've had not yeah. on the podcast but kind of as friends around um, there's been some in the last year or two, some some recent really quite shocking and upsetting cases of um, around mental health um, and around a lack of uh, access to adequate mental health care on, un- on university campuses. Um, the University of Bristol has ended up in the news quite a bit because because their numbers are quite high um, in terms of. Um, uh, mortality figures, but all of the universities struggle with this issue. Mm-hmm. And to me, and, and the way the reporting is, essentially is universities prioritize uh, other things. They, they prefer to, to sink money into capital investments, to build new labs or build new facilities that people don't need, and they let their counselors go or they increase student numbers and don't expand the resources to provide mental health care, physical health care, other types of academic support that is more pastoral than intellectual. And so those services which students need to thrive at university are underfunded at the expense of these other things. It's the university's fault. If you work in a university, that is not... Yeah. That's not not the issue. Yeah. If you work in a university, the universities are fully aware. Yeah. And I think actually a lot of the, the kind of middle management yeah. is actually really concerned. Yeah. And a lot of the discourse, it comes from, mm. you know, a, a place of actual concern, yeah. partly, f- you know, for practical reasons. Yeah. PR wise, yeah. doesn't look so good no. if if you're at the top of those tables of mm. the number of students who have to take a leave of absence because yeah. of mental health issues. Yeah. But also, the, there's a recognition that the the university functions better when students mm. are healthier. Yeah. And th- there is a neoliberal impulse mm. to mm. improve the health of the student body. Yeah. And to me, actually, the... The problem here is NHS care, mm. because universities tend to rely on NHS yeah. care 
as do every other institution in, yeah. the, in the UK. So the the crisis in the NHS, mm. Mm. which is government government caused, yeah. as far as I can tell, yeah. and a lack of of funding coming into the universities from the government yeah. that hasn't been made up by that shortfall hasn't been made up in student numbers or in industry funding. Mm. Mm. So essentially, the universities are taking the fall for what is a socio-political issue mm. that to me falls, the responsibility of which falls with the government, yeah. not with the universities. Yeah. But I, you see reporting and it's like, what, why? Yeah. Why is there no discussion about yeah. the wider kind of relationship between a university, the NHS and the government yeah. when you talk about mental health? Yeah, and and I mean that sort of goes in both directions. I think there's 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 sort of a, a very loosely defined sort of right wing and and left wing uh, approach to that. So there's, I guess the right wing would be the the um, the lack of uh, systematic analysis of a, of you know properly funded nationalized healthcare being being part of that uh, 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 question. But there's also the the other version of that which. I, I guess I'm sort of slightly repeating myself, but the the flip side of that argument is to say that university staff and students should not be susceptible to mental health problems because the university should be a better place to work than Microsoft mm. or Amazon or McDonald's, which sort of, apart from anything else, is a deeply his, sort of historically misun historical misunderstanding of the nature of the institution that is a university yeah i mean if you if you place the university in its historical context if you if you look at the way in which the university is implicated in the kind of historical forces oppressive inequality forces that we're talking about why would we not expect this to be the case why would we not expect there to be an epidemic of stress and mental health issues among the workforce and students at universities? Yeah. I mean, it's it's if if we are expecting that in the in the corporate world, why would we not expect that in the university world? Because the university is a corporation. Yeah. You know, they're they're supposed to have usually official charities, but they're corporations. And they're huge. Yeah. Like in terms of bureaucracy. And in terms of a, a, an institution's ability to respond quickly and efficiently to problems, mm. a tech startup yeah. or a hedge fund is far more efficient than a university. Yeah. Mm. Universities are massive yeah. bureaucratic institutions, mm. and they wield quite a bit of economic power mm. with a ton more regulation mm. and oversight. I mean, big picture, ref, the Research Excellence Framework, TEF, the Teaching Excellence Framework, you know, the sort of the National Student Survey results, you know, sort of big Equality picture ranking, stuff, that, yeah. that sort of stuff. But also small scale. If you get research funding from a, a government-funded research council, mm. every year you have to go in and report mm. on every aspect of the project that you're doing, where the mm. money's going. Mm. You have to audit everything. 
And in, in industry, yeah. you have accountants to help you with that. Yeah. In academia, yeah. you, an yeah. academic with a degree in something that is not economics related normally, yeah. are going in and doing massive spreadsheets, managing a massive budget. Yeah. And you're doing it all on your own steam. And you have to fill out these really complex forms that the government devises. They're difficult. They're challenging. They're full of jargon. They're extremely time-consuming. Obviously, the institution functions in this sort of unwieldy, inefficient way. And that, it makes perfect sense why all of a sudden you have stories about stress or you have stories about a mistake being made or you have sort of hidden practices at at the top level because no one else sees what's going on, you know. And all of those regulations, um, the narrative, and this is this is not untrue. The narrative is of a, of an overly regulated, overly bureaucratized university. But the narrative, the, the 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 regulations, encroach upon every area of university life. Right? Yeah. Universities have to account for how they spend the money. Universities have to account for the kind of research they do. Universities have to account for the kind of teaching they do. The universities have to account for, you know, the gender balance of their staff. Universities mm-hmm. have to account for the racial balance of their staff. As far as I know, I might be wrong here, and if I am, then please point this out. Universities don't have to account for how many casualized staff they have. No. So the 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 one bit of the university life that isn't subject to this kind of regulation is employee rights. Yeah. Is how much are you going to pay pay your staff? How much are you, are you going to pay your graduate uh, tutors? How much are you going to pay hourly paid staff? Are you going to outsource your cleaners or not? So that is the one bit, the the bit that we would perhaps expect in a sane world to be regulated. They There's also aren't, aren't regulated in terms of their effect in the local community. Yeah. So universities, especially ones that are based in urban centers, yeah. are often involved in uh, buying and selling property, yeah. which has a real effect on housing prices, yeah. on resources, yeah. on... Um, student numbers on community change, yeah. on gentrification, yeah. on development, and they're not required to account for their yeah. effect in the neighborhood or in in the urban center of the community mm. that they're part mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Columbia, mm. when I was there, had bought up a massive ha- tract yeah. of land that was public housing in yeah. Harlem. And the internal community of the university was really mm. angry about it and, and lodged all kinds of complaints. Yeah. And the government and the university worked together yeah. in order to make that deal happen. Yeah. So the, these kind of areas where we might expect universities to behave better mm. are actually the, the areas where they're not required to at all. Mm. And there isn't very much reporting or public concern yeah. ab- about those things. So there is, I mean, you know, again, going back to sort of the, the power analysis, the power works across between government, university, and media in a way that erases out the, the genuine systemic problems across all of these three institutions and places those of us who work in universities and who are critical in a position not dissimilar to the position of uh, activist journalists who work for Mm-hmm. great big media conglomerations and are part of the system that they are trying to critique. Yeah, uh, We are aware of our complicity 
we are aware of the role the university plays in structuring our lives, you know, how we teach, what we teach, what we research, what our research is worth, how it is uh, marketed for those of us, those those of us whose research can be marketed, which is not necessarily us. Okay. Um, all, the university structures all of that uh, and we are subject to the university as a corporate institution in terms of how we live our lives and and we are left to to try to find ways of critiquing the way the institution functions from within the institution yeah and a lot of this reporting eventually undermines us yeah it doesn't undermine the university no it just provides fodder for the university to continue to undermine us and the strikes is a was a very good example of that so i mean uh actually this particular series of strikes that happened last year were uh were slightly anomalous in that the media coverage wasn't as universally negative as as it often is Mm -hmm. but typically when university academics go on strike the coverage is awful because the the public perception is of university academics as well paid well paid and and doing the work for the for the good of their students yeah and and and, you know uh, there is and especially um, you know especially in humanities there's there's an added element here of sort of self-indulgence right Mm -hmm. our research doesn't have a practical value uh our teaching we are not producing skilled labor uh you know what if if we produce a, a generation of of students who are able to better able to read and 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 understand how language might mean different things and and critically question uh, uh, media for example that is not a skill that is valued <laughs> that is not a skill that is uh, transferable uh, <laughs> to use the to use the jargon so if we dare to go on the strike the the narrative then is how how greedy can you get the narrative becomes one of greedy academics who are already well paid and and you know who, they aren't exactly adding value to society anyway so why do we need them mm-hmm. and the barrage of negative stories about universities allows for the continuing of the sort of erosion of our rights and privileges uh, our employment benefits uh you know through uh you know either reduced salaries increased casualization bigger gender pay mm-hmm. gap um it, it reminds me this is a, a few years ago there was a um there was a, a particular issue you might remember where lse the london school of economics got into trouble f- because they accepted donations from uh the Gaddafi family mm. in libya uh and the lse was was roundly demonized in a way that made no space for the fact that the british government had been dealing with Gaddafi for yeah, years. Yeah, and British corporations had been selling yeah. weapons and yeah. other... So, so university... I mean, again, we, we've been talking about sort of holding multiple thoughts, contradictory thoughts in our heads at the same time. So, there is... You, universities are complicit with particularly particular systemic forms of oppression in society. And universities are single singled out as undesirable or oppressive or problematic in a way that 
undermines genuinely critical research and further erodes employment rights and student welfare. Yeah. In a sort of circle which I mean I don't know what what is the positive what is the, feedback loop yeah. is the scientific but where where do, what is the point like what is the what is the end goal is it to I mean I guess journalists yeah. who report on it and report it in this way the end goal is is to hold universities to account in order to in order to ask them to improve yeah from the inside I read mm. stories like that and mm. I'm like no you've missed the point yeah you clearly haven't spoken to anyone who knows what they're talking about yeah you've only gone to either university spokesperson or a vice chancellor mm. senior management and your story is actually this if you wanted if you wanted to force a university to engage in in mm. the positive change that you and yeah. I both want so i think the the goal on their side is is a a noble one yeah in the sense holding universities to account because we think of universities as as needing to be better or they mm. should be better mm. the the kind of capitalism you know, sort of enjoying itself, having a good day yeah. mm-hmm. to, like, anthropomorphize an economic yeah. system. Um, it, you know, the, the the way the the kind of institutions are separated and lack of access to mm-hmm. internal university mm-hmm. and whatever mean, and the way the discourse works means that ultimately th- you and I don't win here. Mm. Yeah. And neither do our students. Mm. I wonder if there's a similarity here with uh, reporting of um, other nationalized institutions, sort of NHS. negative rep- reporting of the NHS, yeah. which then becomes a tool to argue for its privatization. Yeah. Well, or like the trains, right? Yeah, when yeah, they yeah. sold the trains exactly. to Virgin. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if there is a, a, not to get too conspiracy theory about this, but a sort of systemic structural imperative to move to move the universities further and further away from government control mm-hmm. towards a much more corporate privatized uh profit making fee paying institution uh which has no sense of public good at all yeah i mean oh but in the us right mm. most of the universities mm. that wield the most power yeah. aren't public institutions mm. They are, right, Brown University, mm-hmm. funded entirely by mm. slavery. Uh, the Ivy League, deeply problematic, mm-hmm. built on native land. Um, challenged, of course, by massive bureaucratic public mm. institutions at the state level, so the UC system, yeah. the New York State system. Yeah. You know, the... the um, but in the U.S., the private... The private universities are still subject to this this hmm. impulse to do hmm. good to to be well. Now that a lot of the discourse is to be kind of safe spaces, to be places of of um, economic mobility, social and economic mobility, hmm. um, th- they are held to that same higher standard. So when the admissions scandal hit the news, hmm. there was this feeling that it. You know, all these celebrities and mm-hmm. famous people mm-hmm. got their underachieving kids into mm-hmm. schools they didn't mm-hmm. deserve to get into. But there was there was real kind of disdain mm-hmm. for the universities themselves. Mm-hmm. And 
everyone knows that at, at the kind of top level, all these institutions yeah. do what they do, right? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. but uh, academics and students who go to the universities will be undermined by um, the story. Yeah, I mean, it's the if we if we are going to get. I mean, I I, I don't know how how well this parallel works, but. The same organizations and the same forces that are critique criticizing the university, likely, I'm not, I'm not saying the universities are blameless here, but criticizing the universities for the admission scandal, presumably have no problems with super PACs in elections. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Do, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if it is bad, which it is, if it is bad to allow a student into a university because their mommy and daddy can pay a lot of money, then isn't it bad to elect a president because so-and-so corporation or multinational is paying however many billions? Yeah. And it seems to me there's a similar kind of double standards that we've been talking about, um, where as soon as a university does something, it becomes bad. Yeah. But when... Amazon or Microsoft or Fox is doing it. It's fine. Yeah, I mean it's not nice. Yeah, but it's it's the it's the, it's what it's, they it's, do. It's what they do. It's the real world. It's how they are. Yeah, you can't expect any better of them, but yeah. we can expect we should expect better of universities. But why? Why? It's it's such a fundamental misunderstanding <laughs> of what a university is and and its its role in what its role in society has been historically. Yeah. Good. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, let us know if you're within a university. Let us know what your experiences has been like. Um, if you're not, then let us know as well. Um, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you.